Hey, what's up, everyone? How's it going? Are we alive? <laughs> so I especially love that video because did you hear that guy going, I'm not cut out for this. It's out of my comfort zone. Da, da, da. That was me when Wilson first took me out three years ago to Walmart. <laughs> you know, we were walking around and he's going up to people like asking to pray for them. That's so weird. Isn't that weird? No, it's actually really cool. Um, so I'm going to set a timer that, so I don't go over. Um, anyways, I'm Luke. Welcome. If this is your first time, I'm one of the young adult pastors here. And I'm really excited to share with you about what I'm going to share with you this evening. It's something that I've wanted to talk about for a while, but uh, just haven't had the opportunity. And now I get to. So hopefully it's awesome. If not, we can all just forget that I said that. I'm probably putting... <laughs> pressure on myself now. Okay. So, um, I want to talk to you about what that video was describing power evangelism before that though, let me share a testimony from a couple Wednesdays ago. Most of you know that us young adults will go out and do power evangelism, go out into the community and ask people if we can pray for them for healing or financial struggles, give them uh, words from the Lord. We go out and do that every Wednesday at 5 p.m., open to anyone that wants to come, not just young adults. And so a couple of Wednesdays ago, well, real quick, last Wednesday, someone's leg grew and Will and, Will and a couple others prayed for them. So that was amazing. Uh, what I mean by that, in case you don't know, is that one of their legs was about an inch shorter than the other. And so Will sat this guy up uh, at a neighborhood across the street from here, Woodmere, up on a transformer and brought his legs out. And sure enough, you know, one was about an inch shorter than the other. And he said, in Jesus' name, grow. And the thing grew right out. And the guy was freaking out, you know. So that was cool. <clears throat> you see, I told myself I was going to cut that to, share it to save time, but I just went out against my own plan. A couple Wednesdays ago, me and a good friend, Aaron Ross, we were at the mall. And we were in Burlington, uh, Burlington's, praying for people. We hadn't seen anything super miraculous to that point. But as I've said up here many times, and I'll keep saying, seeing miracles is not the point. The point is loving people. And that, if that's all we do, if all we go out and, and do is love people, and we don't see anything miraculous, that's still just as much as a win as anything else. Anyways, we're out praying, and... Um, Aaron starts to get this sense that there's someone in the vicinity who is, and he didn't quite, he couldn't, he didn't have a complete grasp on what he was seeing. This oftentimes happens, you know, it's not a sure science, but he was just, he was sensing, he was feeling that there was somebody in our vicinity who was having some kind of a negative interaction with their parents or just with parents, just something negative surrounding parents. And so... I'm like, okay, well, let me, uh, let me try to, to discern who that is. And all that means is I started looking around at all the people in the store and waited for God to tug on my heart as to who it was. And I've done this a lot now recently where when I'm choosing to pray for someone, instead of just choosing who I think is the best candidate to pray for or whatever, I just kind of look around and just look at everyone's faces and wait till I feel that tug on my heart. And when I feel that, Whoever I'm looking at, that's the person that I'll go up to. And I've actually seen a lot of cool stuff happen. Um, but anyways, I'm looking around and I, my eyes catch with this woman and I feel the tug on my heart. But 
she's got these enormous headphones on. And I'm the kind of person who, if I make someone feel awkward, I feel twice as awkward in that moment. I hate making people feel awkward or uncomfortable. And, you know, the thought of going up to her and being like, hey, excuse me, headphones off, yeah. That scared me. And so I decided not to say anything about this person. And I, you know, told Aaron the complete opposite direction of the story. I, I think it's her. And, you know, kind of like a Jonah thing now that I think about it. So I turn around, go the complete opposite way and go over to this other woman. Hey, excuse me. This might sound out of the ordinary. Do you have any, uh, any negative interaction going on with your parents? She's like, no. I'm like, okay, sorry to bother you. Awkward. Um, yeah, backfired on me. So that, that was probably God teaching me a lesson now that I think about it. Wow, revelation. Anyways, so then I tell Aaron, Aaron, you know what, man? I know who the person is. I was too scared to go up to them, but let's go and convince her to take her headphones off. So we walk up to her, and I'm dreading the moment, but we get up to her and like, hey, excuse me, sorry, can you just take off your headphones? Got her to take them off, and Aaron starts to tell her, hey, this might sound out of the ordinary, but we were walking around here praying for people, and we really feel like there's someone here who's having some kind of negative interaction with their parents or with parents, and uh, we felt like it might be you. Is there anything going on like that? And I'm just waiting for her to, you know, give us some kind of angry response. And, but she uh, says to us, well, no, nothing's going on with my parents. But I'm actually on the phone right now with my best friend who just lost both of her parents yesterday. And then one of the, the, that woman, one of her friends was there and she said, yeah, and I lost my dad last Thursday. And so they were blown away. I was probably more shocked than they were in that moment. And we got to pray for them and love on them and bless them. And they were just so encouraged that God cared enough about what they were going through to send two random strangers their way to bless them. So that was really cool. And that happened recently. Um, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> okay. So what was that? At its core, that was evangelism. And that's what I want to talk about this evening. There are many different kinds of evangelism. I'm sure most Christians, pretty much all Christians, would agree that evangelism is something that is very important for the church and for Christians. It's something that's important. It's also something that we've been trying to figure out for 2,000 years. And a lot of people have struggled with it. A lot of people have not been able to find out exactly what it is. It's it's something that is... uh, been kind of vague for the church. And there are many different kinds of evangelism. Uh, I remember when I was a part of the Navigators, we used to do beach evangelism. This is where you would go. Some of you have heard of this, where you go on the beach and just walk up to people, say, hey, excuse me, can I have 10 to 12 minutes of your time to share an illustration with you on the gospel? And usually they would say no, but sometimes they'd say yes. And then we'd Share that we would share this illustration with them, and at the end, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that whole deal? We've we've heard of this something like this right before. There's also the uh, the, the turn or burn evangelism methods, where it's like you know, repent or perish, God. And I, yeah, for me, if, if evangelism is not motivated by love, it's kind of useless. Um, and so I don't see love in that style. But you know what? There probably have been people who have come to know the Lord through that, and so I don't want to judge anything. Um, God can use whatever he wants. There's also servant evangelism. And uh, we've done this here at this church. This also has been done a lot at the Vineyard in Tri-County. 
And so you all get the point. There are tons of different kinds of evangelism. What was the kind of evangelism that Aaron and I were participating in when, in the story that I just told you? Power evangelism. So before I go any further, let me define exactly what a power evangelism is. And this should be up on the screen. This is my best. This isn't like from a dictionary or anything. This is what came to my mind when I was thinking about this. Power evangelism is a method of evangelism that relies on the power of God through the gifts of the Spirit, the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit's leadings and promptings to open people's hearts to the gospel. This is uh, what we are doing. And this is what we do every Wednesday at the mall. We say, God, we know you're working. Show us how we can get involved with that. Show us how we can join you in what you are already doing. Power evangelism. So we as a church here at the Vineyard, but also in the Vineyard movement internationally, this is a kind of evangelism that we practice a lot, that we put an emphasis on. And I remember when I first ever gave a message here back in January... Was anyone there for that? Cool. Okay. Um, Thanks for staying around. (laughs) When I was here in January, I gave a message. I talked a lot about power evangelism. And I had a friend who approached me afterward and he said, hey, Luke, good stuff. You know, I I agree with most of it. But why do you have to be weird? I I was like, what do you mean? He's like, why do you have to be weird about this? Why can't you just go to Kroger and buy the person's groceries in front of you, say God loves you, and leave. Why do you have to be weird? And I remember, you know, I had an answer for it, but initially it just caught me off guard, like, whoa, you know? Why do we do it this way? And I remember when I first got involved with the Vineyard Movement, it surprised me how much of an emphasis we placed on physical healing. It was something that in my former church experience, it hadn't been talked about a lot. And so I was thinking, why did we put so much emphasis on this, this seemingly obscure topic in scripture, healing? Why is that so important to us? And maybe some of you even here can relate with that. Why do we have to be weird? Why do we put such an emphasis on healing? Why do we do it this way? And that's the question I actually want to tr- try my best to answer in the next 20 minutes. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into it. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in this church and in our lives. And we just together declare that we love you so much. And that's why we're here. Above all else, we just want to love you and love your people. That fuels all of our evangelism. So come be with us, Holy Spirit. Open up our minds to hear from you and to understand your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 17, please. Acts 17. I want to look at two completely different approaches that the Apostle Paul uses for evangelism. If you all have read through Acts of the New Testament, you know that Paul did a lot of evangelism in his days, and he probably did every method in the book. And so I want to look at two distinct methods of evangelism and kind of compare them and pull some truths out from them. 
Before we read the passage in Acts 17, though, let me give you some context as to what's happening here. So Paul gets gets moved to Athens, gets sent to Athens after some persecution gets stirred up against him. And he arrives in Athens, and Athens is one of the intellectual capitals of the world at that time. It attained the highest level of culture and antiquity. And there were philosophers that famous philosophers, Socrates and Plato, that called Athens their home. Other philosophers, Aristotle and Epicurus, they actually adopted Athens as their home. And just philosophy, art, sculpture, all these things located here in Athens. And Paul arrives at this intellectual, cultural capital, and he sees idols everywhere, and it troubles his heart. And then he starts talking to, to some Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, and they're debating with him, and they're talking with him. And then they invite him to come to the center of the city where intellectual discussions and conversations would happen. It was called the Areopagus. It was this huge rock that you can still see if you go to Athens today, where people would flock to hear the newest philosophy or the newest intellectual thing. And so they invite Paul to come here and to to give his case for the gospel in front of all these people. So you can imagine it'd be like going to over to England to Oxford University and getting all their professors out and students and other people and saying, let me tell you all about Jesus. And that's the situation that Paul is in. And then he gives his case for the gospel. And before we say anything about it, let's read it. This is Acts 17. We're starting in verse 22. Verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay. Some Bible scholars have called this the most philosophically profound 10 verses that Paul ever wrote. In fact, a lot will say that this is the forerunner to modern day apologetics. Apologetics meaning giving a rational, giving a logical case for God's existence to open people's minds up to the gospel so they can accept it with their heart. Again, 
another method of evangelism. The forerunner to modern-day apologetics. And Paul is brilliant in how he writes this. If you notice, he actually quotes Greek poets who are talking about Zeus to support his case for Yahweh and Jesus, for God. And he doesn't use, you know, Christianese terms, as we would call them. He's not like, welcome to fellowship. I have an exhortation for you now. Come and hear, you know. No, I'm blessed to tell you that right now. No, he uses terms and language that they would understand. He doesn't use, he doesn't talk about the Old Testament scriptures, although he knew all about them. But he communicates the same message as he would to anyone else. But the point is he uses their language and their words. I don't think Paul could have given a better intellectual case for God's existence if he wanted to. Like, again, the most philosophically profound thing that he ever said. These 10 verses, many people would say. So what was the response? I would expect the response to be all of these intellectuals and philosophers fall to their knees and start worshiping Jesus and they all get saved and the whole city comes to the Lord and there was revival in Athens. That's what I would expect. I mean, this was a brilliantly crafted message. And the Holy Spirit obviously was working through him and giving him the words to say. What did happen though? Let's take a look. This is verse 32 through 34. Sorry, this is verse... Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you about this again. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him. Most scoffed or said, hey, interesting. Thanks for stimulating my mind. Now I'll go back to my life. A couple joined. What happened here? Why was there not the big dramatic effect that we might expect? Why did only a couple, why were only a couple impact? You know, I don't think Paul stood up front and said, my goal is to get two or three people to accept Jesus out of the hundreds that are watching me. I don't think that was his goal. And Paul had seen masses come to the Lord prior to this. So what happened? What was going on here? Well, I'm going to answer that in a second. But real quick, next, Acts 18.1, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So, So Paul, after he gives this stirring this philosophically profound message for the gospel. He goes from Athens to Corinth, both places in Greece. And I want to suggest to you, I can't prove it, but I want to suggest to you that as Paul is walking from Athens to Corinth, his message is racing in his mind. I've heard this called the Monday blues before. And anyone who's ever been on stage on Sunday and given a message to a congregation and then little people are impacted, you know what I mean by this. But just thinking, oh man, what could, could I have said this differently to make it impact people? Could I have made this point? Oh, I forgot to say this is my best point, you know. And just thinking, how could I have made this better? How could have I given this message better? What could I have done? The Monday blues. 
And I want to suggest to you that as Paul is walking from Athens to Corinth, he is thinking, what could I have said better for my message to make an impact on people? What could I have done differently? And so he's walking. And I think he does decide to do something differently. In fact, I know he does because of the passage we're about to read. Paul changes his approach when he gets to Corinth. He uses a different method. And so let's read now 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 2. And here Paul, the Corinthians obviously were the people that lived in Corinth. And here Paul is writing about when he first came to Corinth after he had left Athens and what happened there, how he preached the gospel to them. So let's read it. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying when he arrived in Corinth, he decided to change his approach. He said, I'm not going to try to wow them with all my knowledge now. I'm not going to try to present this, this incredibly profound intellectual thing. In fact, he said, I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So here's Paul, brilliant man, a genius, a literal genius in this time, super knowledgeable on the Old Testament scriptures. Paul, with all this knowledge, says, you know what? I'm going to act as, as if I know none of that. All I'm going to tell the Corinthians this time is Jesus loves you and he died for you. And he wants to give you a relationship with him. That's all I'm going to say. And then I love this. He says, I came to you with great fear and weakness and trembling. Meaning I didn't come to you arrogantly or pridefully telling you all the stuff that I know. I came to you with humility. Evangelism has to be done with humility. And then he says, my message, my preaching, they were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, with healings, with signs and wonders, words of knowledge, prophecy, all of that stuff, God's presence, demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Let me just pull one point out of this. The gospel preached with worldly wisdom, it might convince someone's mind, but the gospel preached with the Holy Spirit's power will transform a person's heart. I've heard before that if it takes a smart person to convince someone to believe in God, all it takes is a smart person to convince them not to. It's not a cognitive thing. It's not just an intellectual thing. But when the power of God comes up, when we, in, when we encounter the power of God and it flows into our heart and we tangibly experience him and feel him, it changes us. And no matter what message or what argument or what, whatever we hear, 
we're changed. We can't think the other way. We can't go back the other way. We've been changed by the presence of God. And I oftentimes hear people say things like, you know, oh, all of you all, of you, all you know, charismatics, all of you that, that worship with your hands up and speak in tongues and all that stuff, it's all just about emotional experience for you. And that always just strikes me as weird because I'm like, hmm, who made emotions? Right? God. So if he made them, do you think he wants us to experience them? Yes. So what's the issue? Y'all see what I'm saying? Anyways, I didn't plan on saying that. Um, (laughs) Demonstrations of the spirit and of power. They'll change a person's heart. Now getting back to that, to that, to my friend that I mentioned in the beginning who uh, told me that, you know, why do you got to be weird? I will say that about one out of 10 interactions that I have with a stranger asking to pray for them, you know, they are, they do respond negatively, but I can honestly say that nine out of 10 people are positively receptive to prayer. And anyone who goes out and does this would agree with me. I'm sure a lot of you would agree with me. And I would even say that probably five out of 10 times, probably half of the time, the person leaves having been deeply impacted by God. Sometimes people, we've been seeing some people accept Jesus on the spot. Recently, we saw one person in the mall and another person at beat-ups. So it's, it's not as weird as we might hype it up in our mind to, to be. And let me... Uh, let me close with a, a recent story. So a couple of weeks ago, a guy named Cody um, encountered, had an interaction with some of our leaders at House Group. And Cody had been a staunch atheist or at least an agnostic who really disliked Christianity. Like he was, he was this like less than two weeks ago. And he had posted on Facebook this status that was kind of bashing Christianity a little bit. And so Vinny, uh, a leader at House Group, and Zach, they decided to ask Cody if he wanted to come hang out with them. And so he agreed, and they, hang, they hung out, I think, the next day. I don't know the details super clearly, so one of them can correct me later if they want. But they invite this guy to come hang out with them. And they talk with him, just hang out. And then at the end of the night, one of them says, hey, well, can we pray for you before you leave? And I was surprised, but apparently Cody agreed for them to pray for him. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the love they showed him by wanting to hang out with him. Maybe whatever it was, maybe it was the Holy Spirit opening up his heart. He allowed them to pray for him, probably thinking, yeah, I'll just let them, you know, say their words, do their thing, and then I'll go on with my life. Well, people at house group, you know, I can say that they're pretty good at praying. And, and that is a thing. And they're praying, Holy Spirit, fill them right now in the name of Jesus. And he starts to feel this heat pulsing in his body, up and down, down his arms. He's like, what is, what is this? What's going on here? And it kind of freaked him out enough so that he agreed to come to our house group the next night. And so he comes to house group the next night, I don't, I'm thinking still probably not believing in Christianity, but like I, there was something happened there and it was weird. And I'm at least going to pursue a little bit further and see what was going on. You know, did they have some machine that they, you know, hooked up to my, you know, zapped me with taser kind of thing. Uh, 
And he, so he comes to house group and he gets rocked by the Holy Spirit again. And he's, then that, he, he still hasn't accepted the Lord, but he's like, okay, they're doing an outreach the next morning. You know, y'all heard the outreach we did at the end of August. They're doing an outreach. So I'm going to go with them. And so he, this guy goes on the outreach and he sees someone pray for healing for someone downtown. And he decides, huh, I'm going to try that. You know, I still don't, you know, I don't know how all this stuff works, but I don't think he had accepted the Lord yet, at least not verbally, maybe in his heart he had. And so he finds this guy with a limp and says, hey, Jesus heals. Can I pray for you? Prays for him. The guy gets radically healed right there on the spot. He's like jumping up and down, you know, he was limping before. Now he's jumping. Um, And still, I don't think, and so then that night, Cody accepts Jesus as his savior and gets baptized, having been an atheist 48 hours before that. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And I want to tell you that I'm sure Cody had heard all of the most brilliant arguments for Christianity. He had heard the most philosophically sound messages. He had been told all of the answers by Christians. But Robbie and Vinny and Zach, they were willing to not flex their intellectual knowledge, but invite the Holy Spirit to touch him. And it radically changed and transformed his life. That's what this power evangelism stuff is all about. And let me make one more point. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that I may have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And I might have faith that can move mountains, but if I don't love, I am nothing. And the last point I want to make is that all this stuff, this power evangelism stuff, this healing, this prophecy, all of it, if we don't do it motivated out of love, it's nothing. That has to be our top priority and our top concern. We can't be going out looking for a miracle. We have to be going out with the sole motivation to love people. And when we do that, God will show up in extraordinary ways like he did with Cody. It's a good word, isn't it? (laughs) Worship band, come back up. Worship band, we're going to worship Jesus because he's worthy of it and he's awesome and we love him. So let me pray. Lord, we thank you for how you're working and how you're moving and how you let us join with you in what you're doing. Man, it's such a pleasure, God. (laughs) Such a joy to get to partner with you and see people's lives touched. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come in a more powerful, even, even more powerful way in Jesus' name into this room right now as we worship you. Just come fill us, fill our hearts. Let us experience you, not simply in a mental, cognitive way, but in a tangible, experiential way. We invite your presence. We're after your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, let's all stand. And uh, if you want to, come forward to the front for worship.